Hey y'all, welcome back to Holler Back. This is season two, episode four. Uh, this is Billy. And I'm Stacy. And today we have a very special guest. Um, she's a person who has devoted much of her life to service in Appalachia, especially in Knott County, Kentucky. And we are very thankful to have her here today. And we'd love to welcome Miss Christy Boyd on the podcast today. Thank you all so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, so Christy, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into some of the nitty gritty. <laughs> uh, okay, um, it's funny because Billy and I have a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so years ago when I, I grew up, I was born and raised in Knox County. Uh-huh. And then I left when I was 18. And then um, I lived in New Orleans for quite a, quite a while. Ooh. And, then, and then I came back uh, in my uh, early 30s. And uh, I, my first job when I came back is I taught school. I taught school for like three years. Uh, and that's where Billy, I think, was in the sixth or seventh grade. I think you were my fifth grade math teacher. Fifth. It was fifth. Okay. And um, so I taught and then I moved into um, another job. I was a a station manager for a small television station. Uh, And we did a lot of uh, sports and um, public service type stuff. Uh, And I became a board member for the Appalachian Artisan Center. And I did that because a friend had called me up and said, hey, would you consider doing this? I know, you know, you sit on the festival committee and you do things with, you know, some other committees that she knew, like, um, and I'm a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. And I was like, sure, I don't know what I can do, but, and I fell in love with the Artisan Center because I think every community that has an arts-based program will find some type of success um, and, and, and a quality of life that's different from a non-arts community. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's really awesome work that you've been in. And so tell us about New Orleans. Sorry, Billy. I know that we have <laughs> questions lined up. Oh, you're fine. We've, uh, we've been... Well, I've been to New Orleans um, with the scholarship program that Billy and I are in. So how do you think that that compares to, you know, because you've like, obviously I only went for like a week, but um, you know, you've lived in New Orleans and you've lived in Eastern Kentucky. So like, how do the two compare, like the two atmospheres, would you say? Um, Okay. So I've always thought there was a, I normally compare, actually, um, my daughters went, lived in Lafayette. Okay. Uh, one, one graduated from LSU and she still lives in Lafayette and Lafayette and Eastern Kentucky are wonderfully similar as is New Orleans with that preservation of culture and tradition. New Orleans does it all the time. They, mm-hmm. it's just the most dynamic city in the whole U S and I, and I've been to a lot of cities. Um, it just, it's so open to everyone, to every race, to every religion, um, to every personality. But Appalachia and Acadia, Acadiana, which is the bayou, um, they have that traditional music, like whether it's Zydeco 
or bluegrass. You know, uh, we both have um, accents and dialect that are not similar, but our own. Mm-hmm. And just as Appalachia is very Scotch-Irish, uh, Lafayette is very um, uh, Creole, very French. And um, it's just, there. I love, and I think there's a significant marriage between those places in Louisiana and Appalachia. And I'm still very involved in New Orleans. I belong to a Mardi Gras I ride in a Mardi Gras parade. Uh, I'm in a Mardi Gras crew, That's and I so also fun. and I also dance in another Mardi Gras crew. So, and, and there's different ones, and like you know, there's probably not going to be one for 2021 uh, because of COVID. Uh, but uh, it's just there's such a spirit to it, and people have this ideology that it's this. Uh, debauchery and all this bad stuff, but it's really not. It's a uh, kid friendly. It's, it really is about kids and it's about family and it's about, you know, like parties and tailgates and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not what you see in the quarter, <laughs> right? but you know, it's just like, well, you know, if you go to any major city, uh, there's going to be parts that aren't kid friendly. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it's, it's my favorite favorite city maybe in the world is New Orleans. Oh, and Hyman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Hyman, um, I'm from Knott County as well. Uh, and I, I wasn't even aware of some of the things that are going on right there in Hyman. Um, I've, I've done some research uh, prior to this episode and I've found numerous programs that uh, they really benefit the, the community and they deserve a lot of attention. They're, they're great. They're fantastic. And none of these programs could have been established without the dedication of you and many others in the area. Uh, we'll talk more about the Appalachian Center and these programs in just a minute. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about yourself. Uh, how, did, how did you realize that you wanted to devote much of your life to working for the Appalachian region? Um, I had a professor uh, at UVA Wise. Her name is the Dr. Amy Spain now, um, and she was very adamant about how important the Appalachian people and culture were, uh, even though hers was more about uh, like the Abingdon, Virginia area and everything. That's what she was focused on. Um, I started looking at, I'm a big, I, I don't like to use the word feminist. I'm an equalist, I believe all people are equal and women don't want to be treated better. We want to be treated equally. Um, and I feel like the Appalachian women have always been leaders in demanding that for themselves. And that's how I kind of intertwined Appalachia women's rights, um, being the mother of two daughters and what I wanted to, uh, do and show them. And, I read a book called Fair and Tender Ladies by Lee Smith and uh, upon her recommendation uh, and I, it changed, it changed the direction I I wanted to go in life. And I have worked adamantly. I mean, uh, with, if someone, if someone comes to me, I have a really hard time saying no to anything. Um, 
as long as it's something positive about Appalachia. And um, one of the things that I work really hard at, and you two will laugh because it's probably normal to you, but it's telling people that it's Appalachia. Um, you can <laughs> always tell. Say it louder, sister. <laughs> I, and, and it's funny, if I give a tour or something and somebody comes back and donates or somebody calls me, a lot of times they will say, the one thing I remember is you saying, if you don't say it right, we'll throw an apple at you. And that comes from uh, Amy, who is my professor, because when you hear CBS came and did a story on us, and it was a good story, but they kept saying Appalachia, and I'm like, where? That's not here. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, if you're going to do a story and it's important to you, you know, you have to know those things. So that's my big thing is, oh, if you don't say it right, we're going to throw an apple at you. And um, because it's like if your name is Monica, you don't want to be called Monica. Exactly. It, yeah. You know, <laughs> um, so it, it's one of those things that I am very proud of where I'm from. Absolutely. And I want other people to, I don't want to correct anybody. I just want to share with them what it is. And I'm a big, I'm an avid cyclist. I've been doing that probably for six or seven years in the area, even though I just got serious the last few years. And man, it's so beautiful here. I yeah, mean, sure. the trees, the, the, I mean, we get four distinct seasons. Um, during COVID, um, it, so many people, I, and, and I'll get onto that later, arts saved people during COVID. Mm -hmm. In the first, you know, four weeks, six weeks, we were reading books, we were watching TV, we were digging out that instrument we played in high school. You know, we were doing these things that were all art based. And that to me, I was like, oh, that's so important. The arts are important. But the fact that, you know, quilting, other things that, that are lost arts for Appalachia, you know, that's, those were the kind of things that were happening during this time. And so I've just always felt, um, I was on the board three years before I ever joined working at the Artisan Center. I'm the first development director because before that, I was a fundraising uh, person on a volunteer basis for them. Mm -hmm. And I just felt the need that everyone, and in the, in the first three years of my job, and, and like, thanks to Billy saying this, um, most people didn't know what we what we were doing there <laughs> and they still don't and it's like uh i've worked really hard at getting this coverage for us but i didn't get the coverage compared to the programs that we've done the culture recovery program which i'm sure he's going to cover here in a bit really put us on the map not necessarily for arts but what it's doing for the opioid epidemic so i'm, I'm a small cog in, in a machine that's, you know, moving forward and now a little faster than, than it was before. Yeah. Um, a couple things that I want to touch on there. Number one, the Appalachia versus Appalachia. Um, 
me and Millie have both taken the app 200 class at UK and you know there are always there are always those people that like genuinely don't know so we don't fault them from that right right but I remember when I took the class um there's this kid and he was like I because we were having a lecture over what the exact definition of Appalachia is you know to some people it's the mountain range and to some people it's <laughs> is kind of like the South. And then like, you know, everybody has a kind of a different definition for it. But um, this one kid raised his hand and this is an lecture of like 200 people. So he has more guts than me. I'll give him that. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he was like, I have lived in Appalachia my entire life. And that's not really what it looks like there. And it was just kind of like, oh, sir. <laughs> oh, I remember I was in a leadership program in high school. And I had heard somebody, I can't even remember who it was, but it was somebody that was successful, call it Appalachia. And I tried it once and I was like, I'll never do that again. <laughs> I hear people, yeah, people that live, I mean, and I'm talking about a couple of the lawyers, you know, people that I know are educated, people who have been there for a long time. And they'll be like, something about Appalachia. And I'm like, where? <laughs> that, that's my, that's how I do it nicely. I'm just like, where? And yeah. then I kind of tied in. I'm like, is that near the Adirondacks? <laughs> you know? It's so, it doesn't even um, feel right for me to, to, to try to say it like that. So. <laughs> but I just, uh, I just think it's important. It's, it's, it's part of who you are. If you're Appalachian, you're Appalachian. And um, that, that's, that's who I am. And, and maybe that's a toxic trait of mine, but like, for some reason, it just, like, sparks this anger in me. <laughs> and the thing is, I know that not everybody does it out of malice or, you know, right. they're aware. Right. Um, right. Like, <laughs> it's just I hear somebody say Appalachian. I'm like, no, try again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah. Like, it, I guess it's so gatekeeping of me. And I hate that about myself, so I'm working on it, y'all. <laughs> well, that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I feel you. And I feel like it's, it's my mission sometimes to make sure people walk away knowing that we are the Appalachian Artisan Center. Exactly. Um, that's yeah. really a good segue into our next question, actually. So Appalachia is full <laughs> of traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation. Um, it's what our culture is based on, pretty much, is traditions. Unfortunately, though, we are seeing some of these traditions slowly fade away in many areas, but you touched on, you know, like, the lost arts that the Artisan Center is, you know, saving and stuff like that. So, um, we love that the Artisan Center is working on keeping certain traditions alive. So tell us more about the Artisan Center itself, um, its history, its purpose, and maybe goals in the region, and what impact does it want to have on individuals in the community? Um, so the Appalachian Artisan Center was started in, I think uh, we may have, uh, like 99 a bit, maybe when we were awarded the the grant, the because it came through DLG money. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think we actually opened the doors till 2001, maybe. And you'll find that on the website. I, I can't remember the days exactly. But um, the, the purpose of it in the beginning was uh, to, uh, and I think the mission statements, I know, being worked a little bit. But it was to really promote um, artists um, that were trying to, pursue a living, doing what they loved, um, which was culturally appropriate. So and when I say that, it could be um, 
they could be painting, they could be quilting, they could be woodworkers, they could be uh, metalworks, you know. Uh, but the uh, concept was in, uh, they could have, and we still have these today, what are called incubator studios. Mm -hmm. And those studios are for artists to basically rent and have their business out of that center for a very minimal cost until they can afford to get their own brick and mortar place. Oh, wow. and, and what happens and like right now we're booked, we are completely full. Um, I think we have six businesses in um, our downstairs. Uh, we have a photographer, a candle maker, a screen printing, uh, a jewelry maker, um, a potter, and then uh, a visual artist that all have studios. And like our big thing is, um, it's one of those where you, uh, you want them to move out eventually. <laughs> you know, we want them to be so successful that they move out. Mm -hmm. But as opposed to like when you're starting, um, it's very hard to be an artist on your kitchen table or your office at home, or we want, it, we want to give artists their own space. So we have the incubator studios downstairs and $150, $250 a month is all they have to pay um, to have their full, their own space for a business. And you couldn't do that uh, having to have a building that you pay for and insurance and electric and all those types of things. Um, so that's really, that was the key focus when it started all those years ago. Yeah. Um, the, we had at one point Hazard Community College, we had the Kentucky School of Craft, which was through them or mm -hmm. in conjunction with them more so. And it had to do with um, uh, offering the ceramic classes. Like we, we had the business places there, but we didn't offer classes necessarily. Mm -hmm. And classes for us uh, came later on, uh, maybe 2012-ish, um, where Hazard Community knew they were getting away basically from those classes because they weren't getting enough um, uh, people to take the classes that, that wanted to pursue those careers. I think it may have been like an Associates in Fine Arts. And then... Um, we, we focused on the three that we could do at that time, and mm -hmm. that's kind of how we are to this day, and that's uh, luthery, uh, blacksmithing, and ceramics. And they also become key components in our programs that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a little bit, like culture recovery, metalworks for the modern muse, and, and those types of programs. That, that actually leads us right into our next question. Um, the Artisan Center's received a lot of attention in the past few years. Uh, I know you've mentioned CBS, and it's impressive to say the least. Uh, the Appalachian Artisan Center and its programs have been featured on Forbes, uh, the New York Times, PBS, uh, magazines like Orion, and it's it's there's an endless list of features that y'all have had. We're blessed. And one of, one of the programs that caught my eye, and you've already touched on a little bit, was the Culture of Recovery program. If you don't mind, just you could just talk a little bit about it. 
yeah. uh, what the motivations were, what the goal is. So um, the culture of recovery program uh, was actually the brainchild of both Doug Naselroad, who is uh, our master luthier, uh, and Jessica Evans, who is actually now uh, an employee at the University of Kentucky. Uh, it started with a uh, application for a grant through Arts Place America, and um, we we wanted to take people that were being, um, oh, what's the word, suffering from opioid addiction. And because we, we have a lot of that in, in, in Appalachia, but especially in, uh, our, in Eastern Kentucky, you know, not Perry Letcher, those types of, in our areas. Um, and they wrote this grant for a half a million dollars and uh, there was like a thousand some applicants and then we made it to like the top 70 and then uh, the last when you made it to the top 40 they come around and this was based out of New York and we um, I, I knew we were getting this grant when they walked in and saw our facilities the the Appalachian School of Luthery, when you walk in, uh, well, the New Yorkers gasped. They were like, you know, it's hard to believe in this little town that has one red light, has a place where men are making guitars and mandolins and uh, dulcimers. Yeah, and I've, so, I've been in there. yeah, I've been in there a couple times, and um, we our last episode was all about me. So if the listeners have listened to the last episode, they know I love it. But um, that's it's amazing the shop that that they have there and the work that they're doing. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to. No, no. It. I mean, it it, it's so that's how the the grant people were just so excited, and they kind of spoke to us about we didn't know how we were going to do it. We wanted to do it in a um, like in a health way, but not as a therapy. We, we didn't want to have to bring in necessarily, you know, psychologists and, and um, uh, doctors and specialists. I mean, we wanted those as advisory, but we wanted a hands-on approach. We wanted to put people into ceramics and blacksmithing and the luthery and let that uh, be their therapy. Uh, let them work at their own pace. Let them figure out if this is what they wanted to do because you know we didn't just take anyone either like uh you had to be kind of accepted into the program and and let me kind of backtrack here just for a second um so there was a story uh on the 15th on cnn it was called champions of change and um doug nasal road our master luthier and earl moore um, were part of that. They, they choose like 10 and Earl was the one who basically he came to Doug and I think it was in 2012 or something like that. He'd been in jail. Uh, he'd, um, been on drugs and he was like, I like to do woodworking. Will you take me under your wing and teach me how to make a guitar? And Doug had to get approval from the board and all that. And 
Earl became technically our first, uh, our test subject, I guess. Guinea because pig. he was our guinea pig and he now is eight years clean. That's he awesome. makes his own guitars. I think it's called E3 Guitars on Instagram. Um, just a wonderful person. And uh, that was the seed, though, that created that culture of, of cover, uh, culture recovery program. And uh, we now, and I'll talk about it a little bit, too, because uh, it's starting. The Troublesome Creek String Instrument Company is uh, kind of has piggybacked off that culture recovery. Uh, the Appalachian Regional Commission gave us like a $1.2 million to create the first manufacturing plant in Knott County. The very first manufacturing plant. And it's making guitars, mandolins, and dulcimers. And we have six employees, and two of them have been recovered for over three years. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm looking yeah, that's at awesome. I'm looking at the Ether Guitars Instagram right now. Beautiful, beautiful, yeah. beautiful yeah. craftsmanship. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned and, that, like, that it was a program that, you know, you had to accept people for because I think that there's, like, this notion that maybe it's, like, slim pickings in Appalachia, I guess, for, like, talent and stuff like that. But yeah. it's just, like – everywhere you look there's somebody that's good at something and then if you're not good at it you know a guy <laughs> it's like yeah yeah I always tell people like my job or anywhere I go when they say what do you think your best trait is mm -hmm. and most people think I'm going to say talking but it is not <laughs> <laughs> it's putting people together that I think will become good co-workers uh good collaborators Mm -hmm. a good team because for there to be success one person you can have a good leader but if you don't have a good team right you know so it, it's putting people together earl and doug i had nothing to do with that but earl and doug were a good team mm -hmm. so when we started looking at other people too so not county drug court uh was one of the the places that we took people from we would accept and when you go through drug court you are in it like a minimum of 18 months. So these people had 18 months with us. And Kim Patton, who has Saving Grace Pottery, that's another one. She may have an Instagram, I'm not sure, but she's on Facebook. She has been probably three and a half years clean, maybe longer. And she makes her own pottery, has her own business, um, and she's in, and she's a instructor now for the culture of recovery, uh, but she has someone over Mike Ware who is um, a pottery master. Uh, he's uh, forty years plus experience. He was with Alice Lloyd College. Um, helps her like on Wednesdays, but it's it's just wonderful to see the success. Like you said, of people, not everybody's going to want to be a blacksmith. Not everybody's going to want to be a potter. Not everybody's going to want to make instruments, but we've been very fortunate to be able to say, okay, well, here's five possible candidates. Let's see how dedicated they are to staying clean and learning a trade. And, and there, there's two so. positive impacts that are massive that come out of that. One is um, whenever you do a handicraft, whenever you do something, produce something with your hands like a guitar 
a dulcimer, a mandolin, um, any any form of car carpentry, you, you feel good about yourself. And it, it could distract you from different issues and it's a, and it's great to hear that it's helping people. Well, you, you know, Billy, one of the things that, even if you didn't get into that program, the ones that uh, I just said, that, that grant also paid for, we had artists that would go into facility, like the Hickory Hill facility, and they would teach an art class and every, whatever that art class was, it, normally they were two and a half, three hours. You had to have a tangible item at the end of it, meaning we wanted them to be able to start and complete an art project so they had something in their hands. Because not everybody was going to be able to do uh, the long-term programs of, of training like with pottery or blacksmithing or luthery. So we had artists to go in and they made journals or they made tapestries or they created, um, um, you know, wood paintings or whatever. But at the end of the class, they had something. And oh, I, yeah. Um, sorry, Billy, go ahead. Oh, well, the, the second positive impact that I was going to talk about is it is a preservation of tradition of skills in Appalachia. And that's something that I think there needs to be more of. And I'm really glad the Artisan Center is doing that. Uh, we're, we're seeing some of these talents and some of these skills kind of disappear over generations. And that can't happen. I agree. I'm, I've been trying to learn to quilt now for about eight years. And I think I've managed to make three squares. But we just had some um, new people that are in uh, the drug court program that are starting um it's i call it a quilting bee but that's what that's what they're learning to do at the center now is quilt mm -hmm. and so because one of the things when i give a tour and i show that we have quilts and our quilts may be 500 700 1100 dollars in eastern kentucky we're not going to spend that because if your mamma loved you you have a quilt <laughs> I got one for my 12th birthday. <laughs> uh, that, that's what I'm saying. I've got so, one. I got one for graduation. <laughs> my, my line is always, if you don't have a homemade quilt, then your mama didn't love you. And so, but it, what I, what it goes to is that those things were the gifts that we don't, we can't do now time. You know, we don't have the time to do those things because a quilt, the expense, just in the time of somebody stitching this and that's why we're losing it as an art form yeah um well you'll be happy to know recently i bought a sewing machine and i gotta be <laughs> here it is oh I, facebook marketplace is both very <laughs> helpful to me and dangerous because if i have <laughs> any sort of money like i'm on there like ding to do what can i, I buy know so i bought that uh i haven't used it yet but i really felt like an appalachian woman i was like these are my I, I know you know <laughs> i think um because are you in uh hazard not right now but i was early okay. today. well i think they have like a little gin noble in them they have like maybe a little fabric craft store or something maybe down near the spotted newt Yes, um, goodness, I can't think of them all off the top of yeah. my head. Yes, they do. Yeah, but um, because what I'm trying to learn to do is just applique on squares and then eventually sew it together. But you know, we, we will see. Um, 
I'm getting ready to try. A friend of mine told me I need to watch some show called or movie or something called The Social Dilemma. Ooh, I've not heard and of that. But I'm always I haven't either. I've, I've heard of it. I haven't watched it. But it's a lot of people. It's causing like I, I'm overwhelmed on social media. Uh, there's so much anger Negative. right now. And it's, uh, I just don't think it's good for good mental health when I could be reading a book. Um, I just got a book like um, this summer and it's like the places to hike in Kentucky. And I got it at Mammoth Cave and I'm like, I'm going to hike some of these places. Um, I got the book. Uh, I got a couple of like at Silas House. I know y'all know Silas. Um, uh, I got Eli the Good that I'm been reading on that for way too long but he he had a um questions like a that he asked and there's a soundtrack that he's created for it and i just really want to immerse myself in more of that instead of i don't like you because you're voting this way and i don't like you because you know blah 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 and i'm just we don't need that right now in this world <laughs> Yeah, um, we need that first the first six weeks of the pandemic when everybody was loving each other baking bread. I want that back. The I want it back. Of, the stores were out of, I mean, yeast. They were out <laughs> of instant coffee because that was also like the whipped coffee phase. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's the Tiger King phase. You know. Oh, my gosh. I'm still. Mm -hmm. First of all, Joe Exotic's eyebrow ring was what was holding this country together. But it, was, it was. Here it was. It uh, was. Yeah, a couple things. Um, I'm really glad that a lot of your programs focus on recovery because I know that especially, you know, since we have kind of touched on politics a little bit, especially in the presidential debate, you know, um, recovery and addiction was brought up and you know not in the most positive light exactly exactly that's why I think that this couldn't be better timing um yeah because, like I think all people not just um those in recovery but like I say this all the time students you know they just often in order to succeed they just need someone to believe in them and they need to be absolutely you no know, they need to believe themselves that they have a purpose you know um and so I, I really admire the work that you're doing and the, the programs that are encouraging to those that are just looking for, for a reason to keep going, you know? Yeah, I, I, I really, that was one of the moments that I really struggled with the other night. In fact, I, I went back, I didn't get to watch it that night. Um, and I watched it and <laughs> I, I, I watched it the next day. Um, and I, I was very, um, I was very sad because um, the leader of a country as great as America, no matter who gets elected, cannot act that way. Um, and I say this, it, it, I always think of things like this. Let's say me, you and Billy were not doing a podcast and we were all sitting in the same room. Mm -hmm. And every time, you know, none of us let the other one talk. Yeah. It would just be like, what is happening here? Is, is this, you know, and that's how I felt. I felt at the end of it. I was just like, I mean, there, there were definitely things that were said that I was just like, I, I had to go back <laughs> and play it again. Make sure it was real. Yeah. I want to make sure that I was really watching 
the two, one of these men is currently the most powerful and one of them, which it could be a second term for one or the first term for the other is going to be the next. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, and me watching Chris Wallace, I had to pray to the Holy Trinity because I didn't know what was happening. And you know what the sad part is, is that Chris Wallace, he has, you know, moderated presidential debates. I know. He's so experienced, so good. I saw a tweet. It was so funny. It said, somebody give um, Chris Wallace a spray bottle so he could spray him like cats. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I saw that. I saw that. You know, I, I like the one that uh, said, um, oh, it, it was something like um, about, and it was about Chris, and it was like, I've seen this man do too many things for him not to be able to just stop talking mm -hmm. because then they would stop talking. Eventually. And, <laughs> yeah. And then, then he could go back to, and I was like, but I saw one too that said, who was it should, um, it was like Medea because she would not, you know, or what, you know, yeah. somebody that would be like, hush your mouth. You yeah. Know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Somebody's granny. That's who needs to do it. Oh yeah, my granny. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah, my memory. But 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 it, but the thing too, what I was it being about addiction is nearly. I would I would go as far as to say no. We we say it all the time. Every family has someone, you know. In Appalachia, that is one hundred percent true. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anyone, no matter their socioeconomic position, that doesn't have some kind of affiliation with somebody who's struggling and it can be um my opinion on opioids i we can blame the addict but then we have to blame the doctors and we have to blame the pharmacies and we have to blame the pharmaceutical reps and we have to blame the fda and we have to blame you know uh purdue pharma and it just keeps going because we created we created in a week economy a weak industry people who were suffering people who mental health this is why mental health is so important because vets have a high rate of mental health issue they have a high rate of addiction they have a high rate of homelessness and it all goes back to mental health mm -hmm. addicts that we work with in the in the criminal system the same thing. It goes all the way back to, we hear some people, um, they started doing drugs when they were 12. Yeah. Or uh, my, you know, I was stealing things out of my, you know, mama's purse at 10 and you're like, my mama would have knocked my teeth out. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> but, but, th but then you just, you sit and think, all, all, all three of us may not have had, um, well, recently, this, this is a great example. Recently, I told one of my friends is a, at a, a manager at a bank, and I said, oh, God, I hate being poor because I had to buy a new car. Mm -hmm. And I said, Ugh, I got to borrow to buy this car. And he's like, so what? Everybody borrows to buy a car. He said, you're one of the lucky ones. We... We, the things that we do on a day-to-day, -day, borrowing money to buy a car or eating at our favorite restaurant or 
having to buy one pair of shoes instead of two or whatever, mm -hmm. we're still so much more fortunate than so many people. And a lot of these people who fall into that, those addictions come from backgrounds that we can't comprehend. We can uh, empathize and sympathize, but we cannot truly understand because we've never had to go hungry before we went to bed. Uh, we've never had to worry where we were getting off a school bus. We never had to worry if somebody was going to break our door down because our mom was on crack or, you know, whatever. Um, it's just things that you can't believe are real stories. And that's why I, I just struggle when they talk about addiction and, and mental health. They're, they should be top priorities for what, we, for what we're doing in Appalachia for um, for that demographic. Absolutely. I'm going to let my cat out. It is growling. <laughs> Literally. <That's> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to edit this part out. But, uh. okay. <laughs> if she's editing it out, am I doing okay, Billy? Oh, yeah. You're doing great. Okay. I was getting ready to uh, touch on what you just talked about. Okay. Uh, I was going to talk about... Uh, I'll just, I'll just wait until we get there. Okay. I'm talking about how I've seen a lot of that poverty and stuff, especially over oh, on Beaver. Good, because that, that reminds me to tell you something about the CNN story about poverty. Um, yeah, you're doing so good, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. Um, I wanted to say, too, you know, did I want to say that? Because I completely lost my train of thought. So. <laughs> Uh, you can come I, back. I when, you were editing so. this part out, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're good, Billy. You go. Yeah. But you know, you you've known me from since I was in Knox County, which really hasn't been that long ago. But I was in the fire department. I was always working at the clothing giveaways that Jackie had over at Beaver, and I've seen a lot of that in the community, and it's it's saddening. I mean, I I didn't grow up with the best financial situation myself, but there's always somebody else that had it worse than me. Always. And, 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 and you had a good, a, a good mom and dad. Family is, uh, that's exactly. And y'all talked about that earlier, whether it's a teacher or whether it's family or whatever support systems, uh, are one of the most important things to success. 100%. Um, I can fail at anything, but if I have some people that say, you know what, Christy, tomorrow, you're just going to start over. You're going to do this differently. You're going to do whatever. That's great. That, that's what keeps us all going and wanting to do those things. If we have, if we don't have those people, or if we have people that say, who cares? If that doesn't matter, then what would make you want to do those things? You know, support systems are the most important. Um, yeah, I also do not come from a lot of money whatsoever. Um, but like I was, I remember earlier this year, I was at a therapy appointment and first thing they ask are like, tell me about your childhood, you know? And I'm just, I recognize that I'm so fortunate. I was like, I didn't come from a lot of money, but I came from a lot of love. And, yeah. you know, that's something that a lot of people can't say. And that kind of leads into why it just is mind boggling to me that, you know, I get on Facebook, which I just shouldn't do that. I really like, I'm always ready to fight. With Wait, yes. 
Yes. <laughs> so I get yes. off Facebook and, you know, I see things about like, oh, if, you know, we can pay for Narcan. Yes. I yeah, I know where you're going, but we can't pay for somebody's cancer drugs. And it's like, and there is such a blame placed on the victims. And I will yeah. say victims of addiction because it's, I mean, mind blowing. How many people don't? Nobody wakes up. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to be an addict tomorrow. It's science, you know? Yeah. And it's like there is science that addiction is disease, point blank period. And it's not like, and they're like, well, if they didn't want to be addicted, they shouldn't have tried it in the first place. And it's like, have you never tried something in your like yeah. younger years as, yeah. you know, maybe something you thought it was fun or something yeah. that you thought could give you an escape for the reality, you know, like, why are we placing so much blame on each other when we could be doing it on, um, bigger corporations? Yeah, exactly. Um, there, uh, my, my favorite show, if, uh, and I, I actually watch it on YouTube though, is John Oliver tonight. And, uh, John Oliver is a British guy who, you know, is, I think he's an American citizen now or whatever, but, he tells story. He he does investigative reporting mm -hmm. that is unlike anything I've ever seen. And if you all get a chance, it really is uh, everything from beauty pageants being scholarships pageant. And there's no scholarships mm -hmm. to um, the way they target minorities uh, in those um, check into cash top stores. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, like the small pawn loan, whatever they're called. Um, I mean, he does uh, political stuff too, uh -huh. but he's pretty good about, and he's got one on pharmaceutical sales mm. and how it is so amazing that it just, and his language is, it's college level. <laughs> uh, it's, it, he can be very, um, very snarky and he curses a little but it's just spot on and the one on pharmaceuticals and and addiction and stuff is just it, it it's fantastic you i highly highly john recommend it oliver john oliver tonight yeah, it's john oliver he, he's got yeah. a lot of show a lot of i will look into yeah i'm always looking oh I, I'll, I'll put it on i'll catch it i mean everything from uh he's got a great one on student loans we all know what those are yep uh, i i have to you know i keep saying and i'm uh a little older than all y'all that between um if you're really rich uh somebody's going to pay for you to go to school and if you're really poor you can get grants or whatever but those of us that just talked about though middle class the working class uh like my daughter at lsu even though she was in state you know she's an environmental engineer and that's great but we had to borrow money for her to go to school mm -hmm. and i sit and think that's a lot of money for a kid to go to school when i not i but every working person in america pays all these taxes and a public university is not y'all go to a public university the tuition might be this amount, but to go, it takes so much more. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think people who are writing these grants and the mm -hmm. people over at FAFSA, I hope they don't listen to this because they'll take my money. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think they realize that. They're like, oh, you have tuition. That's all you need. And I'm like, 
sir, I have to eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. But, I, I, but I will tell you this too. And I, this is a mistake that I made. Like my daughter, I wanted her the first two years. I was like, you need to live in a dorm so you can experience this and do this and da, da, da. Mm -hmm. She had like a housing, like three people in one apartment, you know, or whatever, uh, on campus. Great. I paid $900 a month. When she later moved off campus, she and two other people lived in a three bedroom home for the same amount of money. It is. And I was just like, I was like, I made you live on campus to experience this, but I paid 20,000 extra dollars. <laughs> It was just astronomical. And I, I just sit there going, you know, when they, when you, you, you get a scholarship for tuition or you get a scholarship for, uh, you know, your books or whatever, but you still got to eat. Most students work somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have to have gas or they have to have car insurance or whatever. And it's just. It's a very gatekeepy system. It is. It is. I don't want to, I want to go back. I told somebody I was going to get a doctorate in like flimmy flommy. And they're like, what's that? I was like, I don't know, but it's, I want to be the one person that has it so that CNN has to call and say, Dr. Boyd, who has the, a degree in, you know, Appalachian uh, rock collecting. And I'll be <laughs> like, um, you know, because you've got to be, you know, something of importance in order to pay those loans back. <laughs> Absolutely. And it is such a systematic way of keeping poor people in, poor. in, in cyclical poverty. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And I, and we were talking about poverty a minute ago and Billy was talking about having seen it living, you know, firsthand uh, where we lived. Uh, when people come to tape us and do stories on us, CNN did a wonderful job, although they touched on it a little bit. We call it poverty porn. Yes. They always, they, they, you know, let's show the Mountain Dew can out by the creek and let's show this, this one trailer that does not have underpinning. And we don't even know if anybody lives there. Um, but they want to show that stuff. And we're like, but that, that's not us. We don't even, I don't even know if that house is inhabited. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what they think. Yeah, gets them the most views. And, and a, a friend of mine, I'm going to tell you too, lives in Kansas. She teaches at uh, a university there, and rural Kansas has the same opioid crisis that we do. My my girlfriend that lives in Montana talks about how they have a drug problem. I mean, it's mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah, and to to think that. To me, what bothers me is um, the Appalachian one was very, very direct. Like, I felt like we were targeted. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you got, you, people didn't just become addicted to drugs. When you became addicted, you became um, a drug dealer, a drug seller. You were buying, selling, trading, doing whatever. You know, here's five of these pills for two of those or this, that, and the other, you know, and, it's just, it's maddening to think that, um, you know, that's, that's what happened and bringing it back to us and what Billy said, um, doing something with your hands, having pride in what you do, fixating on something that isn't just, you know, your addiction or, um, or where you've been, 
because uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, by George Eliot, and it's, uh, you know, it's never too late to be who you could have been. And we don't all have to succeed at 25 or 34 or, you know, I find success every day at my age and I'm not going to say what that is, <laughs> but it's not a prerequisite for this. <laughs> so you're good. No, I, I just, every day, you know, we can't compare ourselves to others and people who are struggling with addiction, they may just take a little longer to get where they need to go. And when you see some of these instruments they've made, when you see, the blacksmithing stuff that they do. Um, and the more they do, the more they want to do. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's yeah. one of the things that shows there could be more success in these types of programs. Well, one of the programs that I wanted to hear a little bit more about, if you don't mind talking about it, is, um, the metalworks for modern muse. Oh, okay. So that one I love to talk about because I wrote that one. I wrote the original grant um, and it was first funded by Kentucky Foundation for Women. Uh, great organization there in Louisville um, that really supports feminist ideas. And uh, we have a, a friend of mine uh, who has the jewelry business there in our studios was also uh, uh, apprenticing doing blacksmithing. And I had talked to her, I said, hey, um, I was trying to find a, a blacksmithing logo that had a woman in it. And I, I really, I couldn't find one. And I said, well, you think we could teach young girls how to do some of the stuff that you're doing, like the jewelry and all that? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, I think I'm going to I'll write a grant for that. And I did. I, um, we got $5,700 and we took 10 girls and they made bracelets, marshmallow sticks, um, rings, Christmas ornaments, all blacksmithing style. And we did different forms, you know, some was like copper, some was metal, you know, there was different processes. Um, and the bet my favorite one is, you know, we let them choose something. And when they made the ring, uh, I actually, um, my, my friend at the bank had come up with Kentucky quarters. So they made rings out of these Kentucky quarters that were older than they were. And it was just, um, what the program started as is we would have an hour of class where I took the muses of Greek mythology and I tied them to Appalachian women or programs so if we had the muse of music i tied it to loretta lynn mm -hmm. and if we the muse that was education i tied it to uh, alice lloyd uh, and jim buchanan so we we did all these where we just i i, I kind of like appalachian mythology <laughs> was kind of what it was and we would do things uh related to that. And then we would try to make something that, you know, fell along those lines. Um, and then it was very successful. So we decided to try to get the funding with the National Endowment for the Arts and create bigger classrooms, meaning we were going to do two cohorts of 10 and kind of do the same thing. 
the only thing with uh, this is the National Endowment for the Arts, it couldn't be just, it's federal funded, so it couldn't be just female. So we have to, even though it's Metalworks for the Modern Muse, it's open to male and female. Mm -hmm. But I've been very good about, we try to do three to one ratio. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too, is that we have everything and we've got who's going to take these classes. But because of COVID, because it was supposed to start last February, mm -hmm. and then it, we got shut down. Nobody knew we weren't going back to school. Um, so it will hopefully take place in the next few months, October, November, December. Uh, but Knott County is so high in COVID numbers right now. Uh, we, we just don't know what we're going to do. The NEA has allowed us to, uh, at least um, instead of it ending in December, it won't end until like next May. So we have some time. But again, 20 more girls that are going to... Uh, at least 20, uh, do blacksmithing. And this past weekend, um, there was like six of us that did a class because we are, we made tomahawks. And so there's six of us girls, tomahawks. And this month we're going to battle axes there in Lexington. Yeah. 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 And, uh, we're going to throw our tomahawks. We made our own. Yeah. Can and I uh, how awesome that is. Yeah. And well, it's funny because I, 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 I made something the other day. Well, I showed the one I made on my Instagram, uh, in my stories and battle axes re, um, reposted it. Cause we were like, I, I was like, I'm coming for you, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I mean, that's going to be good for us because we're going to be able to publicize that people can come and in one day make a tomahawk of their own. And let me tell you all, we've had more people to take our classes, our blacksmithing classes, that are not from Appalachia, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Tennessee, but we just don't have local people doing this. And we just, it, it's so, it, we're just like, we don't know how else to tell other people to do it because it really, uh, but you have to work. Like uh, Dan, our master blacksmith, you know, I had told him, I said, Dan, how long is it going to take? And da, 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 da. And he said, oh, at least 10 to six. Da, da. We were like 1030 to four. And we, he said, you didn't tell me that these girls were really going to work. And I was like, we came in here to make tomahawks. <laughs> I was like, we are around. <laughs> I was like, we are ready, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and Dan, our master blacksmith, I mean, we've got some great, um, master artists and residents. Mm -hmm. But our blacksmith guy, Dan, who's been doing this for like blacksmithing for 40 years. And, and let me touch on, so with blacksmithing and uh, with um, the uh, metalworks for the Modern Muse, these, that's great. But I'm sure, Billy, have you seen Blue, the giant mailbox horse? Yeah. In Not town? Yeah. So, yeah. So a lot of people, when he went up and whatever, they have issues with Blue but blue has the most amazing story. Um, so the NEA awarded us a, a grant several years ago to uh, pay homage and celebrate blacksmiths and metalwork, you know, like farriers and that kind of stuff in Appalachia. And Irvin Pratt 
was one of the last horseback riding mailmen in the United States. And he traveled three times a week between like um, Hollybush and Pippa Passes. Mm -hmm. And um, you can actually, if you Google Irvin Pratt, uh, Sesame Street did a story on him back in the 70s. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so they're working on a plaque and all that stuff for him now. But Blue, uh, Irvin was also a farrier. You know, he was a blacksmith. And uh, so, so it all, everything kind of ties in and comes full circle when we do things at the Artisan Center. Two things. One, is there an age limit on your club? And if it's below 22, where do I sign? Because uh, <laughs> I'm not 22 till the end of this month, so I've still got time. <laughs> um, no, I'm so serious though. Like, even if I wasn't allowed to take it, I would still love to like volunteer and help. Um, um actually, uh, blacksmithing, Dan, uh, if you're over normally 14 with the parental signature, you're good. I made it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I will probably shoot you an email seriously. And oh, uh, fantastic. We would love to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm afraid if we get Billy in there, Billy will not, he, he just, I, he might be over at the Luthery, though. Him and his music. He might. Yeah, Billy, he can't show me up. Like, he yeah. <laughs> so we can't let him in. Um, second thing is, I think that, you know, like, metal works for the modern music. I think that speaks so much to Appalachian resilience. And mm -hmm. I also think that it speaks to my idea of feminism, you know, because I don't think that fe feminism is specifically, like, there are some people that are like, women are better than men, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. like, we want those sexes to be equal. And yeah. I think that that speaks volumes to my, to my definition of um, feminism for sure. Just, you know, giving these little girls um, or young women, I should say, yeah. just a modern muse that it's kind of like seeing representation of yourself in the media for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, for me, for me, and I say it all the time, I, it, feminism is equality. It, it's not, I am not, I don't think I should make more money than another man. I think I should make the same amount of money as that That's man <laughs> doing, doing the same job right. at the same time. I don't want to fight in a, in the army i don't want to fly a plane in the army i don't want to do but if there's a woman that's out there she needs to have that right absolutely you know i want somebody to open my door for me especially a man but i also <laughs> i also want to pick up the check sometimes yeah for sure you know it, it there's just equality is equality and i and my favorite quote, God rest her soul, from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, was when she's asked, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And she says, that's, that's right, because we don't think anything about there being nine men. Exactly. So that's, to me, feminism is demanding equality. Exactly. So... But that's, that's with what we do. When I, I did the metal works for the Modern Muse, it was like, Dan, I want these girls to be able to do the same thing that the boys do. Now, like when they, when they got to make, when they, uh, and he always says, well, sometimes the girls listen better. 
or he'll say they're not in here trying to show off to see who can hit something the hardest, you know? Uh, but it, it, it's funny uh, when I told him, I was like, well, and I was showing him the things that they were going to make. And he goes, well, I thought you wanted them to do blah, blah, blah. He said, you sure they want to make a bracelet? I was like, yeah, we making a bracelet, Dan, <laughs> you know, but, but he's the one who came up and said, let's do and, and the marshmallow i didn't think like for me i was like are they gonna like a marshmallow stick these girls some of them were campers they like to camp yeah and they love that marshmallow stick you know i mean and it's just it's and when when we did the christmas ornament so here's another little fun fact every year uh, the first Friday in December, we have what's called Old Fashioned Christmas in downtown Hyman. Now, this year, because of COVID, it's probably not going to happen. But we uh, solicit an artist, and that artist makes uh, 200, 250 ornaments. We pay X amount of dollars, and we give them out for free. Oh, wow. When people at Old Fashioned Christmas. So, last year, I go to Dan, and core. So CORE, uh, the Metalworks for the Modern Muse came up with the idea. And then CORE, who's the culture of recovery, ended up making them. But Dan was like, I don't like these. Nobody's going to like these. We made a candy cane ornament. Mm -hmm. And the Metalworks girls made one for themselves and one as a gift. That was their December project. And then that summer, all the way up through that year, CORE made them when they just had nothing to do. Like if they weren't working on a project, they would make those candy canes. I'm telling you, normally we do about 250. I bet we, instead of soliciting someone, Culture Recovery made it. Mm -hmm. And we not only gave out 250, but we sold the other 100. So we didn't pay anybody. We actually made money for the program. Wow. And those ornaments, one of them's on the Daughters of the American Revolution tree in DC that goes up in at Christmas. Oh, yeah. yeah it's awesome. just a, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's what we like to do there. Everything kind of, you know, it, we, we like for it all to flow together. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. See, I had no idea about all the programs. Of course I've like heard things about them, but mm -hmm. I never knew in depth what each one, um, was about so that's awesome um, yeah so we've touched on how the artisan center is preserving some Appalachian traditions and skills such as blacksmithing and instrument making um, so what are some future plans for the artisan center if you can disclose those and are there any new programs or events in the making that you'd like to share with us um, so my big thing and I'm, I'm not sure when this airs but we are working on um, so we normally have a fall fundraiser in Lexington and we do that every year so that we can um, open that gateway between Central and um, Appalachia because so many, so many of, uh, of our um, people who were born and raised in Appalachia now live and work in Central Kentucky. And uh, this year, because of COVID, we're not, because we normally do it like at a Weeda Michael restaurant. Weeda is a big supporter of Appalachia. And I'm sure you all know Wendy Corner which is like one of my favorite, uh, Midway Bakery. Mm -hmm. um, but she's just uh, a big supporter of us. But this year we had to think outside the box and we are doing a telethon and it's on November 11th and it's going to be on WYMT, uh, Hometown 24. Um, I think 
right now we're working on it being on the CW there in Lexington. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be but like from four to eight. We're just going to highlight and showcase our artists, our programs. And then from seven to eight on that day, it's going to be live, live music, um, tour of the Guitar Factory, uh, artists like auction. Um, and it's our biggest fundraiser. And we are really trying to work on our endowment. Um, so what happens on that is the, we want to work towards self-sustaining. And we want to create, we may only be 20 years old, but we'd like to be 100 years old one day. And we need that endowment money. And right now we're working, we have, programs are covered and, and um, uh, employees and all the essential stuff is covered. So every penny we're making right now goes towards that endowment. That's so awesome. And, and that's why we really, we want to reach out to as many people as possible and say, you know, your $5 is going towards a future AAC and these programs. What, what's the you know, name of the, the telephone? Uh, right now we just, it's the AAC Endowment Telethon. Um, I wonder, are you, like, contacting, have you thought about, I'm sure you have thought about it, but, like, radio stations, maybe they could air it? Because I know that they do, um, they do one. The hospice, two. they do the hospice one there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you've heard Betsy Clemens on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Jenny Williams, Betsy Clemens, all those, uh, they are the four Queens that run Hazard, Kentucky. Yes. Yeah. Love all of them. <laughs> they, uh, they are fantastic. For sure. They are fantastic. But, um, but yeah, we're doing that. That's our big, um, the big thing we're working on right now. And again, we, like I said, the programs are going to continue. We have the money to do that. Culture of recovery is getting grants. Uh, as the development director, I'd say most of the money that I come in, you know, people want to call in and say, we want to make sure we give to the culture of recovery. And I always want to say this, when you give to the artisan center, you are giving to that. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, it's not that that's not an important program. Like they're not getting money. So you want to give your thousand dollars there. But I, the way I described it to Billy was, you know, we have the AAC is the umbrella. Mm -hmm. And we cover the blacksmithing and the ceramics and the Appalachian School of Luthery and the Troublesome Creek String Instrument Company. We didn't talk a lot about it, but normally I don't because that would be another show that you all may want to do uh, because Doug, who is the director of that, is the one that CNN had interviewed. He has a lifetime of Luthery and he was the co-writer of that uh, Culture of Recovery grant. And he would definitely, he could speak to you more on, on all of that. And let me tell you, he loves speaking more than I do. <laughs> well, we love speaking too. So maybe this will be <laughs> and, and I think we're going to be, if people are listening to, they, I think in November, we're going to be featured in Kentucky Monthly Magazine. So oh, keep an eye out on that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, uh, Christy. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're glad that you came on. We're thrilled to have you as a guest. And uh, we really admire the, the wonderful impacts that you and the Artisan Center are having on the Appalachian region. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to let our listeners know about 
before uh, we end that. Promo. So. <laughs> uh, no, but Billy and Stacy, thank you all so much. And you can go to our website, of course, artisancenter.net. Uh, if people want to donate, they can donate there. We are a nonprofit. Uh, and at the bottom of that page is the Not Radio Hour. Uh, we have uh, a radio show once a month, and it's archived. And they can listen to traditional music, uh, a lot of it played on our own instruments. Um, and uh, I know one of those programs specifically were people that were in the culture of recovery. So that, that, and I think it says that in the description of that particular show. So those are probably the things they could, they could do to see more about us. And uh, your social media, I know that you have uh, Facebook and Instagram. Do you want to say the? Yeah, you, uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook and Instagram as uh, should be AAC Hindman, I think, is Instagram and Appalachian Artisan Center is our Facebook. And then uh, Culture of Recovery has their own as well, uh, where you can find out what they're doing. And they're under, I think, Culture of Recovery on Instagram and the same for Facebook. Gotcha. Well, Thank you so much for the work that you do pouring back into Appalachia. Um, I graduate in May and then I wanted to go to law school and then I was like, no, probably not. I'm a political science major like Billy. Um, <laughs> and I was like, no, probably not. I really want to do something that benefits Appalachia. And so um, I really want to get my master's in urban planning one day, hopefully. But until then, I want to come back to the Appalachian region. So if you see my name on an application somewhere, I, I will. I will. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you again. And then thank you, Billy, for being here. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Um, we'll see you next time. And in the meantime, I'm Stacy. And I'm Billy. And we'll holler at you later.